Well, welcome again to the Nothing But Grace podcast. This is the worship service that is designed for the 12th of September, 2021. That happens to be the 16th Sunday after Pentecost. And for those of you who are keeping count, this is the 79th pandemic uh, worship mode that we've been in. We started these podcasts uh, back 79 weeks ago, and it's uh, a little bit depressing to think that we've been in this thing for so long. On the other hand, uh, it is also an encouragement to know that we're still here and still bringing people together with good news. Today's message is really about that. It is about rediscovering a truthful religion. Uh, So I hope that you will benefit from this as I share with you my thoughts that I will be sharing in the congregation this uh, coming Sunday. I'd like you to, uh, to hear the scripture reading first. And it comes out of the letter of James. This is from the New Revised Standard Version. It's chapter 3, in case you have a Bible and would like to look it up in your own Bible. But if you don't, listen carefully to James 3, 1 through 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For all of us make mistakes Anyone who makes no mistakes is speaking in speaking is perfect, able to keep the whole body in check with a bridle. If we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we guide their whole bodies. Or look at ships, though they are so large that it takes strong winds to drive them, yet they are guided by a very small rudder whenever the will of the pilot, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great exploits. How great a forest is set ablaze by a small fire. And the tongue is a fire. The tongue is placed among our members as a world of iniquity. It stains the whole body, sets on fire the cycle of nature, and is itself set on fire by hell. For every species of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by the human species, but no one can tame the tongue. A restless evil full of deadly poison, with it we bless the Lord and Father, and with it we curse those who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this ought not be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and brackish water? Can a fig tree, my brothers and sisters, yield olives or a grapevine figs? No more can salt water yield fresh. Rediscovering the truth of our Christian faith is really a very important thing. In just saying this, there is a tacit acknowledgement that some of what is being promoted as Christian is not actually of Christ. In fact, some of what is communicated these days to the curious about our faith might even be considered anti-Christ. That is the very opposite of what Jesus said and did. In this, I am sure I do not even need to cite examples. We have all witnessed 
the disturbing rise of lies about our religion in the course of our lifetime. But ours is a loving, welcoming, redeeming religion. That is the truth. That is the truth we must embrace, and that is the truth to which we are called to be witnesses. Seeking the truth, honoring the truth, telling the truth, spreading the truth are the very heart of genuine Christ-following faith. That is what God wants us to do. Just tell the truth of God's love and the hope we have in God's grace. That is what Jesus did, and he asked us to do this as well when we follow him. We are only human. We know that we are easily tempted. Even so, we must endeavor to be truthful. Nowhere is that more critical than it is with those who teach, preach, and lead Jesus' people. This is an everlasting concern. You see, it is a very human failing to disregard the wisdom of God and choose instead the counsel of evil. That is why one of Christ's followers, a pastor named James, wrote to his beloved church these words of warning. I'm going to share them with you again from James, the third chapter, from the message version. Don't be in any rush to become a teacher, my friends. Teaching is highly responsible work. Teachers are held to the strictest standards, and none of us is perfectly qualified. We get it wrong nearly every time we open our mouths, and if you could find someone whose speech was perfectly true, you'd have a perfect person in perfect control of life. A bit in the mouth of a horse controls the whole horse. A small rudder on a huge ship in the hands of a skillful captain sets a course in the face of the strongest winds. A word out of your mouth may seem of no account, but it can accomplish nearly anything or destroy it. It only takes a spark, remember, to set off a forest fire. A careless or wrongly placed word out of your mouth can do that. By our speech, we can ruin the world, turn harmony to chaos, throw mud on a reputation, send the whole world up in smoke and go up in smoke with it, smoke right from the pit of hell. This is scary. You can tame a tiger, but you can't tame a tongue. It's never been done. The tongue runs wild, a wanton killer. With our tongues, we bless God our Father. With the same tongues, we curse the very men and women he made in his image. Curses and blessings out of the same mouth. My friends, this can't go on. A spring doesn't gush fresh water one day and brackish the next, does it? Apple trees don't bear strawberries, do they? Raspberry bushes don't bear apples, do they? You're not going to dip into a polluted mud hole and get a cup of clear, cool water, are you? How important is the truth? Is it important at all? Or are there certain situations where truth is optional? What if the truth, if told, won't advance our cause? What if the cause is so important that actually telling the truth might hurt our well-intended efforts? Then isn't it the good and just thing to lie? So then, is bending the truth for God's sake and His cause okay? In case you have ever wondered or pondered these things, do not feel unusual. 
This particular ethical challenge has been with humanity for a long, long time. Throughout recorded history, we encounter example after example of how deliberate falsehoods and blissful ignorance have molded human beings and even entire civilizations. And always, 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 in the end, lies are destructive. Lies are by nature self-serving. I use that term to draw a distinction between a self-serving lie and a courageous untruth. It is not wrong to tell a courageous lie. When European Jews were being rounded up by Nazis and devout Christians lied to protect them, well, that was a courageous lie and the right thing to do. It was a setup caused by an underlying falsehood. The foundational lie, the Nazi lie, was that Jews were vermin, no better than rats. The brave Christians who risked joining their friends in concentration camps who hid Jews were in fact combating the Nazi lie. If you want to see how this transpired, try reading Corey Tinboom's The Hiding Place. What most lies amount to, however, are far from acts of courage. They are selfish inventions told to avoid the truth. Courage, on the contrary, faces facts. Courage deals with reality. Courage trusts that in the end God's justice and truth will prevail. This is so important to our faith that Jesus proclaims, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. We have nothing to fear from the truth. Our very faith is framed in reality. Facts matter. The truth is so vitally important to our faith that we are counseled to seek it not only by James, but by all the Christian scriptures. When Pilate, the Roman governor who condemned Jesus to the cross, famously asked, Quides veritas? What is truth? I think he was vocalizing the dilemma of all humanity. Paul was also known as Saul. For Saul, a member of the party of the Pharisees, truth was about the strict obedience to the Mosaic law. The idea that a would-be Messiah might proclaim that he is the truth sounded to Saul like an intolerable lie. Yet we know that Saul would have an encounter with Jesus and the undeniable truth. With courage and conviction, Saul embraced the risen Jesus as the truth, and then, using his Roman name Paul, proclaimed the truth of the cross throughout the Roman world. As a teacher, he took seriously the sentiment of James when he wrote, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs, and Greeks search for wisdom. 
But we preach Christ crucified, to Jews a stumbling block, and to Gentiles foolishness, but to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. When Paul wrote those words, he used the Greek word logos. Interpreters have translated into English the word of the cross, or sometimes the preaching of the cross, and also the message of the cross. And each of these is an accurate rendering of the word logos. None of them are wrong. All of them are, however, insufficient to capture completely the power and full meaning of the Greek word logos. To the ancient Greeks, Logos was an overarching unitary principle to explain the diversity of the universe. Through the ages, it developed into an all-encompassing idea. It is from this word that we get our word logic. Logos is the thing that makes sense. Its opposite is that which makes no sense in the Greek chaos. Thus, Chaos is unreality, falsehood, destruction. But Logos is the real, the truth, and life. So when our translations say word or message or preaching, just know that there is much more meaning intended than our language can easily convey. Now this is what both James and Paul are driving at. We are compelled by our faith to embrace and tell the truth. As we hear in our courtrooms, the truth and nothing but the truth, it is that simple. It is that redemptive. God's truth does not need any assistance. We don't have to help it along. In fact, when that is done, we get into serious trouble. Paul wrote that some think that by providing certain signs or proof, they will somehow aid the progress of the truth of the cross, that an enhancement on the truth will help people believe. So many stories I could tell about this. But this is one of the greatest, or should I say the most infamous examples of this, and it is found in early Christian history. Thinking she was aiding the gospel message, a new believer actually did much to alter and confuse it. It is the story of Helena. Helena was the mother of the Roman emperor Constantine. You have all heard of Constantine. He had a dramatic conversion to Christianity. As a result, he declared Christianity a legal religion, not the official religion, as some mistakenly suppose, but merely an acceptable religion in the Roman Empire. That resulted in an ending of persecution and provided a pathway of respectability that would result in Christianity becoming the dominant religion of the Roman world. Helena, who was converted about the same time as her son, is rightly considered the founder of biblical archaeology. She traveled at the advanced age of 70 to Jerusalem to try to locate and identify various sites of importance in the Bible. High on her list was the sites of Jesus' execution and burial, and she found them. Ironically, it was pagan Rome itself, hostile to the budding faith, that helped guarantee that the hill of crucifixion and the tomb of Jesus would be preserved. 
It seems that the Romans, concerned by the veneration of these sites by the earliest believers, leveled earth over them and constructed two temples, one to Jupiter and the other to Venus. When Helena arrived and learned these details, she ordered the temples to be destroyed and the excavations begun. Mount Calvary itself is somewhat harder to confirm, but we are reasonably sure she actually did discover the tomb of Christ. She erected a shrine over the site that would one day become the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Now, these were great discoveries, right? Of course they were. And if it had stopped right there, great good would have been preserved. That is the truth. But there is more to the story of this ancient archaeologist. The term narcissism has been defined to describe a certain personality defect that affects one's ability to handle the truth. Sadly, those affected with this disorder eventually lose the confidence of others. By telling lies, others doubt everything the narcissist says. If that can happen on a personal level, perhaps it can also occur on an organizational level. When the truth is not enough, there can develop among wavering believers a kind of religious narcissism. It is not so much that religious people lie as much as they are insecure and then exaggerate. One article I read says this, Narcissists are not necessarily liars, but they are notoriously uncomfortable with the truth. They're uncomfortable with their own limitations. It's not that they're out to lie. It's just that they can't handle what's real. It appears that Constantine's mother, Helena, who by all evidence was a good and pious person, may have inadvertently infected the church with a dose of this disorder. It was not enough that she had located the site of the cross in the tomb of Jesus. The emperor, her son Constantine, wanted something else. He wanted the actual cross of Christ. And this is where the story gets a bit weird. The Emperor Constantine himself wrote to the Bishop of Jerusalem, ordering him to make a search for the cross on Mount Calvary. A learned Jew named Judas, that name right there should have been their first warning light, seemed to have some knowledge of its whereabouts and was pressed into service. And surprise! Just east of the site, three crosses were found in a rock cistern. The question then arose, which was the cross of Christ? While the details are lacking and sometimes contradictory, the essence of the story follows. The three crosses were removed from the cistern. The woman dying from a terminal disease was a woman dying from a terminal disease was brought to the spot. She touched the crosses one by one. After she touched the third cross, she was cured, thereby identifying the true cross. So the act of discovery, it seems, had taken an unusual turn. It is interesting to see how Helena responded. The article continues. Most importantly, St. Ambrose preached that when St. Helena found the true cross, she worshipped not the wood, but the king, him who hung on the cross. But very soon afterward, the truth of the cross would be replaced for what was considered the true cross. The result was going to damage the Christian faith for centuries to follow. 
Just a few years after the supposed discovery, St. Cyril of Jerusalem, in his letter to the Emperor Constantine, Constantine's son and successor, wrote, The saving wood of the cross was found at Jerusalem in the time of Constantine. You probably know the rest of the story. Thenceforth, there has been a belief in the Christian religion that there is some kind of special power in the wooden splinters of the true cross, the bones of the saints, even the nails and spear that executed our Lord. I need you to hear this very clearly. None of that is true. Even if the actual cross of Christ had been found, there is no power in it. The power is not in the wood of the cross, but in the truth of the cross. That is an ancient story, but it is also a repetitive theme. Just so we who follow the Protestant reformers on the subject of relics don't become too proud, let me mention the contributions of Ron Wyatt. You might not know that name, but you do know some of his fibs. As an amateur and untrained archaeologist, Ron claimed to have discovered some amazing things, including Noah's Ark, the exact passage Moses took through the Red Sea, the very hole into which the very cross of Jesus was placed, and the location of the lost Ark of the Covenant. Now, I would not even mention this goofball, except that there are many, many Christians today who use these false evidences to bolster and then proclaim their faith. Actual archaeologists and biblical scholars know he is a fraud. Wyatt died in 1999, yet his lies continue. It is most interesting what one of his fans said about him. Quote, Ron's main goal in life was to help somebody get to heaven. When considering an archaeological project, Ron's main consideration was, will it help somebody get to heaven? He would always say, if it won't help somebody get to heaven, I don't want to do it. End quote. Christians, the message of the cross doesn't need that kind of help. Paul said, don't seek signs, just tell the truth. James said, you are accountable to teach the truth honestly. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The truth of the cross is enough. The truth of the cross is that Jesus came to show us what God was like and to show us his love by going so far as to even die upon a Roman torture machine. To the very first Christians, it was anything but an object of worship with magical saving powers. All Roman crosses were emblems of suffering and shame, degradation and death. Until crucifixion was outlawed, the Jesus followers preferred the emblem of the fish, the shepherd, or the shepherd's crook as symbols of their unique religion. Today, we mostly use the cross to symbolize our faith, but we must never forget that the truth of the cross is the truth of the one who died upon its crossbars. What does the truth of the cross mean to you? Perhaps it is the realization that death and suffering are part of all of our lives. But Jesus has overcome. He defeated death. He defeated the sin that caused our suffering. The cross has been changed from an image of defeat to the greatest of victories. We don't need anything else. Just tell the truth. It is therefore up to us to proclaim the truth. 
we should be known as truth tellers who value the actual facts, who live in a real world, and who believe that there is indeed a God who cares for us. When pessimism overwhelms our culture and it seems all hope is lost, may we hold forth the truth of the cross for all to see. Let us pray. Lord, convince us of the power of the message you came to tell. Build in our lives hope fueled by the truth you showed us. Even though evil and sin appear so strong, you have defeated darkness and shown us the truth of the cross. May we follow you with courage and faith. In the name of the one who said he is the truth, we pray. Amen. May God bless you, and if you would like to contact me or the church, please look into our website at www.firstbaptistchurchofmadison.weebly.com. May the Lord bless you.